It's Wednesday, November 30th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Jason, a pleasure to see you. Happy Wednesday. Jason, tomorrow is December. That's amazing. That's not great for me. I, I just I, pre- I prefer <laughs> Why is that not great I prefer for you? not to. You know what happened in 2016? G- uh, December, you had all the holidays. Yeah, I got my birthday coming up. I'm getting older. Now that's interesting. You say that, yeah. and not to, not to really push this birthday message too mm. too hard, Mark. But mm. my birthday is in December as well. There it is. You understand. Now you are a Christmas Eve baby. Is that correct? I am not. I yeah. am. <laughs> I am December seventh, Pearl Harbor, ah. a national disaster. Just like my birthday. What well, about you? See, I'm the day after Christmas. Just when you thought oh, the you holidays and, uh, were over, you, and... you got one more day to really blow it out. <laughs> Our fellow host, uh, Allison Southwick, also born the day after Christmas. Yes. You can commiserate together. I was aware of that. And it's uh, Canada's Boxing Day, too, so I'm sure we'll have, uh, you know, Canadian Gillies come down here to explain that to us again because it seems like I forget every year actually what it what it represents. No one actually knows. I think uh, it's something about boxing up things to return. It's just a myth. It's a legend. It doesn't actually exist. We've got plenty to get to today besides our birthdays. We're going to talk about GoPro, uh, the new Secretary of the Treasury, and more. But let's start with OPEC. Uh, oil prices are rallying today as the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Companies meets to discuss production targets. Uh, Jason, the price of oil uh, doing a little bit better today uh, as we enter a uh, day of meetings for all these countries talking about uh, how many barrels of oil they're going to produce uh, this year. Uh, expectations are that it'll be somewhere between 32.5 million to 33 million barrels a day. Uh, that's going to be a cutback from about 33.8 million uh, back in October. Uh, I guess the first question here uh, is, is this really going to happen? Because there seems to be a lot of discussion of, are the, these countries going to cut back, uh, or are things just going to remain the same? And I guess, obviously, the follow-up, how does that affect the oil markets? Yeah, well, I think this is a very good example of how a headline, no matter how substantial, can affect stocks on any given day in a fairly significant way. I mean, in, in Million Dollar Portfolio, we have uh, a number of energy holdings, Halliburton, Devon, uh, One Oak, uh, D-Now. I mean, these, these are companies that have all had a pretty rough go of it uh, this year, but but are up substantially today because right. of this news. And so, it, it, it shows, I think, the difficulty in, in trying to, to trade, for example. I mean, you just never know what headline is going to come out on what day and exactly how stocks are going to react. But I think this also demonstrates uh, to us uh, further the the importance of, of us here in the U.S. ultimately coming, coming up with an energy policy that uh, is, is more sustainable um, and affords us our independence. I mean, the one thing we don't want is to remain dependent on the outside world for something that we can potentially get elsewhere. Mm. And, and so, you know, you look at our relationship with OPEC and where we get our oil. Uh, over over time, we've depended less and less on OPEC uh, countries and more and more on our neighbor to the north, Canada, right. Uh, right. for example, is is uh, our largest supplier. And so, uh, you think about the politics that go with something like OPEC. I mean, they are not necessarily in line with sort of the politics <laughs> that go on here. And you look at things Elon Musk is trying to do, for example. I mean, not not Mars so much, but but solar power, battery powered cars, things like that. I mean, these are all 
the small steps that ultimately need to get us to, to where we want to go. It, it'll take some time, of course, um, but until then, we're going to continue to depend on on uh, oil in some capacity here. And so, it sounds like uh, a lot of these countries that are members of OPEC that really their economies are based on on this oil that they export. This is something that they need too. I mean, they need to realize some stabilization in order to be able to sort of stabilize their economy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it, it, this this is something that had to happen eventually. We were expecting it, so I mean, I, I think the the uh, specifics are, are yet to be determined. But I think it's a uh, it's it's ultimately a good thing, particularly for energy investors today. You know, you talk about a lot of the macroeconomics there in the countries that are dependent upon oil. Uh, there are a lot of different things, a lot of different factors playing into this meeting today. With you know, Iraq needs oil revenue to battle ISIS, for instance. Libya and Nigeria want to be excluded from OPEC, uh, at least for this meeting, uh, because of their internal conflicts about oil flow there. Uh, even Russia, a non-OPEC company, is throwing their hat into the ring, uh, talking about if it's going to cooperate with OPEC. Uh, there are so many you know geopolitical and macro factors here, and usually. When something like this comes up, you know, one of these macro events like a Fed meeting or what have you, we tell investors not to worry about it. It's not that big a deal. Focus on the fundamentals of the companies you're investing in. But for something like this, it feels like you can't really do that because oil sure. production is a is directly, tangibly impacting these companies that we're investing in. So I guess as an investor, and you you mentioned investors at the end there, as an investor in the oil industry, what should I? I guess what should I be watching for? In this meeting, uh, and what should I be watching for going forward from these oil-producing comp- countries? Excuse me. Yeah, I think that I mean we we'd like to see exactly sort of what what the longer-term plan is here. I mean, is this just sort of a band-aid to get them uh, through a a short given stretch of time, or is this something that would be a bit more sustainable? I think regardless as investors in companies that are uh, tied to oil and natural gas and whatnot. We we obviously here at the full espouse very long term uh, investing style and and it's sort of a buy to hold mentality not buy and hold but buy to hold you have the intention of holding but you got to keep up with this stuff now I think with energy it's a bit different and you you have to be it's more cyclical and you have to be ready to sell when when prices are are fully realized and and, and then you can sort of rinse and repeat when when uh, those prices come back down to earth and uh, you know the economics are working uh, in in you know our favors investors but I, you know it, to me it is one of those things that's just a good reminder when it comes to energy companies that these are investment ideas you have to be very in touch with what's going on from a macro perspective because that matters mm-hmm. here um, and it's these are not companies that you want to just buy and hold blindly because if you do that, you are risking getting burned. I mean, yeah. you want to be able to sort of recognize valuations here, and you want to recognize where these where these uh, companies are, where where oil and natural gas cycle sort of stands. And we could see for a long time here that oil and natural gas have kind of been in the doldrums. Uh, this is something that you tighten the supply. Typically, that can help stabilize prices, push push prices back up a little bit. Like you said, a lot of these countries that depend on that oil uh, production for their economies. And I think as investors, also we can sort of take this to a bigger picture sort of thing. And in just like you have countries where oil and natural gas are the primary foundation of their economies, 
kind of sucks to have all your eggs in one basket, Mark. <laughs> and so, as investors, I think it's a very good idea to not have all of your eggs in one basket. Diversify. Um, so, you know, don't just invest in oil and natural gas companies. Get some retail. Get some healthcare. Get some financials and some insurance and stuff like that. Uh, a lot, a lot of different pieces can really can really put together a, a great total picture. Makes a lot of sense. All right, let's move on to GoPro, which announced on Wednesday, today, that it would cut 15% of its workforce as part of a larger restructuring. Uh, part of that restructuring uh, includes the closing of its entertainment division, a division that GoPro called in its last annual report a significant media asset. Uh, clearly not so significant anymore. Also, GoPro president Tony Bates will leave the company at the end of the year. Uh, give me your hot take on GoPro's announcement today. Yeah, I think this is something that needed to happen sooner rather than later. And to be clear, I don't think this means that everything is all better and GoPro investors should be saying, man, glad we're through with that. Because honestly, this is a symptom of, to me, a bigger problem with the company in that their strategy wasn't really working. Like you said in that most recent uh, 10K, was it, or mm-hmm. investor presentation? I mean, they, they were looking at this media angle of the business as a real. Uh, way to steer this company forward, and and we were looking through it in their S one prospectus when they were going public. They wanted to sort of take the leap from being a hardware company to a media company, right. um, and really figure out new ways to monetize that content. Easier said than done, and it's not really worked out for them. And it's not terribly surprising either. I mean, it's just it's 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 a difficult thing to actually uh, do. I think this is the right move to make. I don't think this is the cure. Mm. I think that uh, GoPro, at the end of the day, is a device maker. And I am going to go ahead and make a prediction. I think in 2017, we will probably see Fitbit do the same thing. Mm, They are very similar companies in that regard. And I think that uh, we've seen both companies forecast a very challenging holiday season. And when you're a device maker, ultimately it's kind of a race to the bottom. It's very easy to to compete in that arena, and and certainly uh, whether it's GoPro or Fitbit, we're seeing a lot of uh, of competition out there. And um, and I think it's just a matter of time before we see something like that, uh, something like this happen uh, with Fitbit. Yeah, well. you know, these these device makers these have these delusions of grandeur, and they just don't seem to pan out. Uh, and GoPro certainly hasn't been helping itself. They had problems just these last couple of months. They had to issue a recall of this drone that was supposed to be the saving grace. Yeah, uh, they recalled it and didn't offer replacements. I think before that too. Yeah, they uh, they started selling two new cameras in October, uh, but they were there was some sort of pricing problem with Amazon. Uh, they've just been shooting themselves in the foot. Left and right. That said, though, a little bit of good news uh, recently. Uh, GoPro, in their announcement today, said that camera sales during the week of Black Friday climbed more than 35% year over year uh, at top U.S. retailers. Uh, on the company's website, sales uh, from Thanksgiving through Cyber Monday were up 33% year over year. A little glimmer of hope. But is that ultimately enough for you to be investing in GoPro today? I think ultimately no. I think the question that we'll need to answer is: it's 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 easy for these guys to sell when they just cut prices. Ultimately, that's their one defense. Really, is when they can't sell devices, they cut the prices. They start selling them at fire sale prices, and. Once you start seeing fire sale prices, I mean, pretty much you can justify anything. Someone's looking just to put something under the tree or whatever it is. Um, and I think 
long term they still have the problem of ultimately being a device maker right. and i think i think something that i think in, in opportunity at least for fitbit's concerned is that there's a little bit more relevance in the data that they're gathering through their devices and what i mean by that it's all healthcare related right, right? i mean in in theory i mean it seems like at least People are becoming a bit more health conscious, caring about what they eat and drink, and and how many steps they're taking in a day. I mean, the challenge there is obviously your phone can do a lot of that stuff already, and um, there are also a lot of a lot of competitors out there in the wearables market uh, when it comes to fitness devices. Um, so it really is it is imperative that these businesses fig- figure out ways to monetize beyond the simple hardware, and and we're seeing. Uh, Challenges play out for GoPro, and I don't know that, that necessarily gets better. Um, and we're seeing it start to play out on Fitbit as well. I don't know how that necessarily gets better either. Hmm. Um, it's not to say that it can't, but I think as an investor, probably easier ways to make money out there. Certainly a long road ahead for GoPro. Uh, let's zoom back out to the macro here. Uh, President-elect Donald Trump uh, is expected to name Steven Mnuchin as Secretary of the Treasury. Uh, for those of you out there who don't know good old Steve, uh, he was a banker with Goldman Sachs, uh, then with the Soros Fund Management. Uh, then he began his own hedge fund company. Uh, he was also Donald Trump's, uh, I believe, his advisor on the campaign trail as far as finances went. Uh, now, it looks like he's up for Secretary. Secretary of the Treasury. Let's stay away from the political stuff here sure. and focus strictly on what this means for investors. What's your take on Steven Mnuchin as Treasury Secretary? How is that going to impact our portfolios? Yeah, I think it's probably easy to understand for a lot of people if he's viewed initially with skepticism. <laughs> I think. Um, you know, getting in there with with a uh, a Goldman Sachs vet. I mean, it's it's he's certainly not what you would call an outsider, and and people are probably thinking this is not how you drain the swamp, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> with that said, uh, I, we can't fall into the trap of judging anyone before they've had the chance to to do anything, and so I tend to want to give him the opportunity to to execute first and foremost, and based on what his priorities are. I, I gotta say, I'm kind of on board there. I mean, he he his his biggest priority is sustained economic growth. I think we can all get behind that. Sure. So then, it's a matter of how you promote that. What do you do? And I think they are primarily trying to get through it uh, via tax reform. And I can get behind that too. Mm-hmm. I think that we have a very convoluted and nebulous tax system here as consumers. I think uh, our corporate tax code is is uh, too high. I think I think we could certainly find a, a Sort of a nice middle ground there in ways to uh, make our tax code better, both on the corporate and the personal front. And I think that's what he at least says he wants to do. I think there's a great opportunity to uh, potentially uh, enforce a tax holiday, allow a lot of these big companies the opportunity to bring a lot of that cash they have overseas back here domestically without having to pay uh, a terribly high repatriation tax. And and that could certainly result in reinvestment in the businesses, uh, higher dividends, potential share repurchases, all ways to uh, stoke better performing stocks. Mm -hmm. So, I think think there are reasons to look at this and say, well, I, I can certainly see ways that the stock market would benefit here. Um, it's just a matter of whether they actually mean what they say, and and I guess time will tell there. 
timidly positive. Is Cautiously I, optimistic. That's the spirit. Yeah, he hasn't even <laughs> entered the, the office yet, so give him some time, folks. Uh, we'll keep an eye on Steven Mnuchin going forward. Uh, one more story uh, that we have to talk about here very briefly. Uh, Philip Morris CEO Andre, and I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce this last name, Kalanzopoulos? I thought you were going to say the giant. <laughs> uh, Andre Kalanzopoulos, CEO of Philip Morris, uh, is on the record as saying that Philip Morris may eventually stop selling cigarettes uh, and instead focus on smokeless cigarettes that could replace traditional cigs. Uh, I think we all knew that conceptually, you know, maybe we're moving towards the future and everyone wants to have those e-cigs now, uh, but it's far uh, far different to hear the CEO of one of the biggest tobacco companies in the world say, oh yeah, there's a distinct possibility we're not going to sell cigarettes someday. Uh, what's your take on Philip Moore CEO's comments? Do you remember The Simpsons? Dan, maybe you remember. Do you remember The Simpsons where Troy McClure, you know, like I always had the Troy McClure things, and he's like, "Hi, I'm Troy McClure." In the film that he was talking about, Andre the Giant, we hardly knew ye. You remember that one? <laughs> no. You're gonna have to Google that after this. It just got me thinking there with Andre the Giant. Uh-huh. Um, I, yeah, listen, I think that this is a step in the right direction for the human race, um, and, and I, I, I say this as a former smoker. I mean, I smoked for a number of years uh, growing up, and it's, it's. Thankfully, I was able to to drop them without too much of a problem. But I also think this is something that fundamentally changes Philip Morris as an investment idea. And so, first and foremost, investors are going to need to know their line as to whether they would even want to invest in a company like Philip Morris. And a lot of people don't want to because they sell something that kills people, basically. And I get that. I don't invest in Philip Morris either. (laughs) Um, But with that said, I think you know it's one thing. It's one thing to say I could see where more folks are deciding not to take up smoking in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so I think for those folks that are not even taking up smoking, I'm not sure where this these these substitute devices really come into play. I don't think it's all that compelling to like pick up one of these devices and give it a shot. I think these devices are great substitutes for people who are hooked and can't really quit. Uh, but I also think that a generation from now, we're going to have a lot of people out there that never took up smoking in the first place. Right. And is their first cigarette going to be an electronic cigarette? Well, I have a hard time really finding the appeal in that, so to speak. I'm sure some people will try it. Um, I mean, I wouldn't want to touch one of those things just because I've read enough stories of those things blowing up in people's faces that I just, <laughs> like, I, any which way, it sounds like, you know, this is going to kill you. So I, I think most people are, because we're doing a great job of educating the dangers, educating people on the dangers of it. I, I just don't think that this is something that's going to make up for uh, lost ground. And when you look at Philip Morris, I mean, this is obviously a business that historically has done very well because of the nature of the product that it sells. But over the past five years, their top line revenues are becoming more and more challenged. Um, and if that's the case, profitability becomes challenged. And what traditionally has been an attractive income investment for people looking for those high dividend yields. I don't know that the next 5, 10, 20 years, I don't know this really looks as attractive as it did for the past uh, 5, 10, or 20 years. So, for me, I, I like the direction as, as a person, but as an investor, <laughs> I think I'm going to steer clear. Smoking kills, and it kills your portfolio. All right, let's move on to a couple of tweets uh, you posted on Twitter asking folks uh, to send us their questions. We'll read them on air and help you out. What is your Twitter handle, Jason? At 
TMFJMO. At TMFJMO, uh, maybe for the next time, uh, you folks out there can uh, give it a give it a whirl, ask some questions. But we've got a couple questions right here, and we'll begin with at Nick in Savannah. I think he's from Savannah. Why do you think Warren Buffett skipped over JetBlue in his airline buying extravaganza? That's a pretty good question, actually. Why would I, I like me some JetBlue? Uh, what was Warren thinking? Yeah, and this is I think it's it was either Warren or Todd or Ted or some combination right. thereof that, that decided to make this move. Um, and they invested in what was it? United, Delta, Southwest, and American. I think yeah, so four totally. Um, and I think the easiest answer is probably that they decided to go with the big dogs in a space where scale really matters. And when you look at these companies compared with JetBlue, JetBlue is about a six point seven billion dollar market cap with sales up about six point seven billion dollars. Versus these other four, where the smallest market cap of the four is twenty-two billion dollars, mm-hmm. and the lowest revenue of the four is around twenty billion dollars. So I think really it all just goes to say that as tough an investment as airlines can be, uh, there's probably a space where investing in the big dogs makes the most sense anyway. And sure, that's kind of my guess as to what they were thinking. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's move on to Her- at Harris Arshad. What would be the best approach to identify the next ten bagger over the next decade? Uh, if I knew that, I'd be doing it. I wouldn't be <laughs> reading these questions on air. Jason, what is the best approach to identif- identifying the next ten bagger? Well, I don't know that I would use superlatives. Sure. So maybe it's not the best, but I think some things to do, some things to look forward uh, to look for, uh, skate to where you think the puck is going. In other words, try to predict the future. Mm-hmm. See if you can sort of see trends that are sort of developing. I think as investors, that's one of the fun things about it is we're a bit more in touch with things because we're always reading and, and keeping up with with uh, what's going on in the world. So skate where you think the puck is going. I think never underestimate the power of great leadership. A good idea doesn't matter at all if you have dummies behind the wheel, hmm. and there are plenty of examples out there of those. And then I think you also have to focus on smaller companies uh, because they have to be smaller in order to grow that much. To begin with, and if you can find sort of uh, those three qualifiers there, make sure you try to place a few different uh, bets there, so to speak, and um, allocate funds in such a way that you have no problem just letting it go for a long time because. Ten baggers are great, but it takes a while to get there. That's fair. All right. At sound underscore investments asks Amazon off its eight hundred forty dollar peak, and yet all I hear is good news on BFCM Capital One AWS Italian data centers. Will it pop? Well, I don't know if it'll pop anytime soon, and obviously we don't invest really with that mentality. But I think that Amazon is a company that you want to be an owner of today. And you probably want to be an owner of it ten years from now. And so, as uh, as the analyst that covers it in in million dollar portfolio, I think we're seeing a lot of encouraging signs um, in the North America retail segment. The way that Jeff Bezos has built this business out uh, in North America, you can see over these over these past couple of years, operating margins are really starting to grow in the, in the North American space. International is taking uh, that same effort. Essentially, what they've done. Domestically here, they're now doing internationally, and in India, I think is a huge opportunity for Amazon. And so we're starting to see operating margins start to come around a little bit there as well. And then of course Amazon Web Services, which is another major part of the business. I think as long as Jeff Bezos is is heading this company, 
I think that this is a stock that you want to own, and anytime you see pullbacks from earning announcements, I think it's always worth a look. All right, last but not least, at Small Cap Danny asks for index funds, lower fees, or diversity. Build toward Vanguard Admiral shares first, or buy multiple diverse funds. Well, let's give him the Hannah Montana, Mark. You can have the best of both worlds. God, that is spoken like the father of daughters. And I am the father of daughters. Um, I think that you can have, honestly, the best of both here. I think that with with, uh, ETFs, you're looking for diversity, of course. you're looking for low fees. You hit the nail on the head there with Vanguard. Uh, this is what they're known for. And for me personally, um, I have some of my uh, 401k money going straight into a Vanguard S&P index fund. Hmm. Uh, to me, the S&P 500 index fund is the no-brainer. Hmm. I mean, that's really the measuring stick that you want to be going by anywhere because it's just 500 of the most relevant businesses in the world. Right. Um, and, and technology has obviously made the world smaller, so to speak. So I think you can have both. Okay. Uh, as always, excuse me, uh, Jason. Thank you for being here. Well, I think I got to thank you first. I almost forgot to thank you. How could I? Uh, as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Mark Reef. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.